Tonight's movie is Fatal Vision. Could the man who murdered his daughter be the same man who married her? Released on the 18th of November, 1984. The crime stuns the public. The pregnant wife and two young daughters of Captain Jeffrey McDonald, MD, have just been brutally murdered. All eyes are on McDonald. Could a dedicated doctor and brilliant militarist murder his own family in cold blood? Based on Joe McGinnis's number one best-selling book, Fatal Vision brings to life this extraordinary drama in a powerful, compelling motion picture. After the longest hearing in military history, charges against the highly respected McDonald are dropped due to inconclusive evidence. Convinced of his guilt, however, his determined in-laws fight for nearly 10 years to reopen the case. A suspenseful trial culminates in a gripping conclusion in the highly acclaimed Fatal Vision, one of the most publicized and thought-provoking criminal cases in modern history. So like lesson one was that people are going to break in and kill you. Ooh, yes. It was just scary as a kid. You know what I mean? Well, this movie is really rich because there's chaos. The whole murder scene described by Jeffrey is chaos and it doesn't track or make any sense in a lot of ways, which is why they're suspicious of him. And I feel like everything about that case can go in many different directions. I mean, what do you think about him oh, in I, the case? Because it's a real case. I think that before I watched this, just from like remembering, I mean, I remember as a kid that he was found innocent and I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Then I think later after listening to it and hearing it again, just the discussion of the murder trial, I felt like he was guilty but then i watching this again it brought more questions for me to where i don't feel 100 percent convinced either way <laughs> so i when the movie starts i feel like it starts pretty intensely mm-hmm. they don't wait they start right with the murder scene yeah. and i mean that's a good way to start it because it gets you invested right away and i i think they handled it really well because it's not too gory really at all but it gives you like just enough of each thing to kind of trigger your emotions and realize that it's you know his little kids and you just see like their extremities their wrists or their ankles covered in blood and you kind of get the idea of how gruesome it was without having to see anything too gory so i like that and then when they're panning around and looking at the evidence and they close up on the baby bottle that's laying Uh, next to her like that was so sad um, but yeah, so I feel like it starts out strong. It gets right into it and it starts with him like covered in blood and shirtless and sweaty, which I, <laughs> I don't remember finding Gary Cole. Like I knew he was supposed to be good looking, but I don't really remember finding him attractive before, but I was really thinking he looked really cute this time. And then I felt bad. Because he's but, a murderer. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Allegedly. Or, or is he not? Right. So I was like, dang. Shirtless and sweaty, <laughs> bloody Gary Cole is doing it for me right now. <laughs> but that's not the point. 
Um, I just, yeah. So it was scary. And they show him like with the blood on him and close up. And I was just like, Ooh, I don't know. I just think they did it really well as far as not going overboard, but like still getting the just like fear factor or scare factor across. And when he wakes up on the couch and then you just see those people hovering over him, that was really scary when the alleged hippies were breaking in and then the blonde girl in the floppy hat with the boots standing there <laughs> holding the candle, scream saying, not screaming, chanting, acid is groovy, kill the pigs. You want to say something? Here's my problem with kill the pigs, acid's groovy, acid is groovy, kill the pigs. Well, I have a lot of problems. One of them is that um, everybody in 1970 had long blonde hair, flappy hat, and knee-high brown boots. So that's my first suspicion. I'm a, I'm immediately suspicious. And when I was little, I thought, this is a ridiculous story. Like, I just really thought he did it when I was a little girl and I saw this. I also thought that people just break into your house and kill you. My problem also is that I know that there was an Esquire magazine in Jeffrey's, the McDonald house at the time of the murder that um, was about the Manson murders. Right. It was the cover story. So clearly he was interested in reading it. So the likelihood that he didn't know the MO of the Manson murders is really suspicious to me. Do you really think that these people are going to come and break in? And like, have you ever held a lit candle and walked with it? It's really difficult. And then there's also a struggle and murders happening, but somehow this woman who's like supposedly just tripping balls is carrying around a lit candle everywhere. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me, just logistically. Yeah, unless you have one of those covers over it, it's going to blow out. <laughs> also, the Manson murders, the the killers were on amphetamines mm-hmm. at the time of the murders. Later, it's found that Jeffrey had a diet pill addiction. Okay, so they were his? Because I thought he was saying, so he said they were Colette's, right? Hmm. He was... Trial. He was hardcore addicted. Yeah. Saying because someone brought up the pills and like maybe he was on them. Mm-hmm. But the test was clean at the hospital, but they tested for only heavy drugs, not amphetamines at that mm-hmm. time. But then so they were saying, yeah, because he's up working all night at the hospital, being a surgeon, going through med school, all that stuff. So you have crazy hours. So he was addicted. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Like, I know all this other information because I read the book. Oh, okay. And I read it like three years ago. The book really, it made my head hurt. Not literally, but it was so confusing. Because there's also a woman. The hippie woman? who, Who went around until her death saying that she did the murders. Her name's Helena Stokely and her and this guy whose name I didn't catch. um, They both claimed until their deaths in the eighties that they were the murderers. Wow. And I'm like, but they were also really fried from drugs. And I'm like, 
I don't know. I just don't know about this. Yeah, there were so many details when Jeffrey McDonald's attorney was at the pool at the hotel and then the worker comes up to him and says he knows this woman who lives in the hippie commune house and he talked to her and she admitted all of these things of having the hat and the boots and the wig and being out that night on drugs, acid or LSD or something. And everything's lining up perfectly that it sounds like, yeah, it would be her. So, but then it's like, there's a $5,000 reward out at that time from Colette's parents for any information. So then it's like, is he just saying this to get the money? Then eventually they go talk to her and she does admit all those things, but she kind of just explains it away. Like, oh, I gave that wig away and someone's borrowing that hat and I don't know where those boots are now. But she says, you know, she did have them. Then she says she doesn't remember that night because she was messed up on marijuana. That's what she says in the movie. (laughs) And then she says she thinks she was with Bruce, but not she doesn't know who else she was with. So, yeah, all of it sounds like it could definitely line up. But then it seems like in the movie, that detective that talks to her is saying he doesn't really think it was her. But why wouldn't it be with everything she's saying? Well, and also the Manson murders had only happened, I think, like six months prior. Okay. So you would think that if another murder where pig was ridden in blood shows up on the walls, like it did at the McDonald house, that you would think, oh, well, I know these other women just did something really similar. That's, I guess, part of why why I just keep coming back to him probably being guilty and he is in jail now, is because you really think that the military, the, the Marines, you know, would be like, oh, we can catch some dirty hippies that look like they live in a sewer and be like, look, it's more hippies. Like, go back to the <laughs> traditional lifestyle, folks, and don't do drugs. Yes. Or the guy that's a Green Beret doctor. That's but, true. But they choose to go after the guy that's the Green Beret doctor. So to me, like if if this was all just normal citizens, that'd be one thing. But but this is a organization of people who you know circle. You know what circle I mean? Circle the like, wagons. Yeah, yeah. You'd think that they'd rally. Like they have a code. Any other branch of the military, you know, there's a solidarity there. So the fact that they would go against their own makes me think hey, this really is probably him. That's a good point because (laughs) it would be easier and look better for them to just drag in the hippies that they talk to because they show them in the movie. I mean, obviously that's not exactly the same, but they show them like right away just rounding people up from the big hippie house. Mm. And it's like, how did you pick those people already? And then obviously it doesn't go anywhere. It seems like they would want to go down that road rather than convict one of their own. But obviously, they didn't have enough. Well, but with this woman, I, <laughs> I don't know. understand. Yeah. I don't know. Was it like followed up on? Did she take a polygraph? Even though those are not really reliable, but I just they don't go in the movie. I don't know. Did they go in the book into how far they actually really investigated her story? It seemed to me that they were looking at it like this guy's story is really weird. He has no real injuries in comparison to the complete overkill of all of the females in the house so a group of guys are like you know what we're just gonna leave the big strong guy that we barely even touched that we barely stabbed and we're gonna go for the weak small children and 
a woman who probably weighed a hundred pounds, but we're going to leave this guy who might be passed out. Like that doesn't make any sense. He's a doctor and there's like, there's a piece of surgical glove found on one of the weapons. Did the hippies wear surgical gloves? It's not likely. Maybe they wear them so that they don't get the smell of weed on their hands. (laughs) I've heard of people doing that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, obviously there are things that look suspicious. Then sometimes I think, yeah, it sounds strange. But based on so many of the stories that I've heard on Dateline, it's like (laughs) sometimes the stuff that happens really is random. It makes absolutely no sense. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I could sit here and if you just said all the same things that I said to you, I could totally confidently argue that the hippies did it. Right. And that the military or the Marines got pissed off because he like trash talked them on national television. That's the thing. I know. I wrote that down to you. I was like, that is the wrong move. Uh, if he and- would have just kept his mouth shut, would this all have just gone away? I feel like it would have. But he was so cocky and he went on like a press tour and slandered the military. So then they're like, oh, okay, you want more evidence? <laughs> Here you go. But even then, it still didn't really work. It was still years later before he went to an actual trial. So it's tough. In the When they first interrogate him six weeks later, after the murder, they show him two pictures. That of moment. Women. Jeffrey was a guy who slept around a lot. And he also liked, which they didn't touch on in the movie, but he also liked to travel and be away from his family a lot. And there was one, one point when Freddie, who's um, Paulette's stepdad, Freddie, yes. he says during that, later during the deposition, he was like, Well, they were really happy Jeffrey was home more. But the problem with that, what he didn't understand was that Jeffrey being home more made Jeffrey feel crazy and tied down. And there was an established pattern of behavior with him of sleeping around with other women. And then there was also strain because Paulette was taking um, psychology classes. Yeah. And he didn't like that. Which they didn't show in the movie, but that's that's a thing in the book. He was like, you're the housewife. Yes, I wrote that down too, because they really don't get into it in the movie, like you said, but they did the night when he was recounting what happened, the night of the murder, and he was taking care of the kids and putting them to bed and giving them their bottle. And then she came home and she was coming home from her psychology class. So I was thinking, yeah, is that the thing? Plus, she was pregnant, going to have another baby, which he probably didn't want. He was taking care of the kids after working while she was at class, and he did not want to deal with that. She's skirting her responsibilities as a woman. Yes. And so once her classes are done, is she going to get a job? Then that would even be a bigger problem. He would not want that. Yeah. So all these things were just piling on. And the other thing that... (laughs) was um standing out to me was when he went to go to bed Mm. his daughter was in the bed on his side of the bed just like another movie that we talked about that also being displaced from the marital bed and to top it all off she supposedly wet the bed so then he couldn't sleep there 
So yes. we don't know if that's even true. Like that was maybe just no. There was urine. Really, she really yeah. Did. There was her okay. urine in the bed. Yeah. Because then there's like the brother that triggered everything to just kind of blow up at that moment. Right, and mm-hmm. that that goes with uh, one of the family annihilator styles of the husband thinking my family isn't doing it right. Oh. Mm-hmm. I need to just wipe them out and start over. Yes, exactly. And like, I think John, John List was like that. Oh, yeah. He had the fanatical religious component to his thing, which I think that Jeffrey, if he did it, he also is fanatically religious about the fact that he's the most important person in the world. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if he did it. Because it's like, if he did it, like all of his behaviors outside of all of the cheating and there's like, there's a lot of other stuff too that I kind of don't remember. But I remember reading that book and being like, this guy's, aside from the fact that it looks like there's actual physical evidence that he did it, because there's also, you know how he keeps talking about how his nightshirt got pulled over and like, what like he they handcuffed him with his nightshirt like i don't understand his story about that right and that could be taken like because it actually is the way it happened and shit can just be really weird sometimes or <laughs> because he was he's actually really a very smart guy he had it figured out that hey if i tell like this kind of like crazy story where everything's really uh, chaotic and like, I just sort of don't know what's going on, but (laughs) stuff happened. And then there's people around with bats and knives and like, I don't know. And then everybody's dead. But me. But me. (laughs) But the strongest green beret in the house. (laughs) There's evidence in one of Colette's knife wounds. There's fibers from his nightshirt i think the prosecution was like well like something happened and the nightshirt got you know involved in the argument and da 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 and it's proof that he was involved with that he was the murderer but then on the other side of that he could have tried to stop blood from coming out with his nightshirt that's true (laughs) you want to really hold pressure on the wound so some fibers are going to get in there if you're right. holding pressure properly. I'm trying to remember in the movie, there was some part where I don't remember who he was talking to, but he was saying that he did get stabbed with the ice pick, just like really yes. superficial wounds, like what? 14 or 15 times. But then he also, later when he went on TV, he completely you know, exaggerated his injuries and the seriousness of his condition. But it was was it a separate time when he was telling someone that he did have like fourteen superficial stabs well, from the ice pick? They had the doctor initially when he was in the hospital. I think he told he told uh, everybody. So he had a partial collapsed lung, right? From the one major wound, you couldn't really even call them stabbings. Like it sounded like they were scratches. But okay, let's compare this. And this is so grotesque. So I'm not going to talk about how many times a five-year-old Kimberly and a two-year-old Kristen were stabbed. 
because oh it was a lot. Uh. It was over 25 times collectively. Mm. Kimberly was hit in the head twice. Right. And she's a five-year-old. Yes. And then, but Colette was stabbed 16 times with a knife and 21 times with an ice pick. And she was hit on the head with a club at least six times and her arms were broken. The guy, the only man in the house who's in really good shape has a, just has a partially punctured lung. These hippies go into the house and they just sort of banter with him. And then they're like, let's see if there's, if there's like some small children or women to just brutally murder, but we'll leave the dude. Like That's what I, drugs do to you. They make you <laughs> murder the less obvious people. Right. It's the drugs. Acid. <laughs> right. It really makes you want to murder innocent women and children, but leave the men on the couch. Yeah. And the and the press conference was like, we're looking for hippies. <laughs> hippies are bad. Does your neighbor have long hair? Like, call now. <laughs> and then they're showing all of the hippies getting rounded up. And yeah. then my favorite part, which like kind of summed up 1984 to me was a woman walking out to her little girl and collecting her from off of the street and guiding her into the house because it's not safe with all of these hippies running around. Yeah, I definitely took note of that part too because there's like little boy riding his bike and then the girl's playing in the front and the mom was just looking around anxiously side to side like, are there any hippies out here? <laughs> and then running out to grab her little girl and they're both still in like their nightgowns. <laughs> and then you see the truck go by in the background so you know that it's on the base too. So I yes. can see why she would be extra scared. Well, sure. And it's an open base, which is strange. I don't think there are any of those now, but at the Probably time not. it was completely open. <laughs> This might have something to do with it. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) It's just so convenient that it's around the time of Sharon Tate. Also, his wife was pregnant like Sharon Tate. I know. You know who else was pregnant? Alex from Fatal Attraction. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Pregnant women are being murdered in these movies. Yes. But so it seems convenient for that. Blaming it on hippies when everyone's already like in a fervor over hippies, apparently, because that's not yeah. that long ago. Right. Then that's like an easy target. And the drugs would explain why they would do something that's so senseless because they were on drugs. And so what happened that night makes no sense because no one was thinking clearly and they're under the influence of drugs and they hate pegs. Is he in the Marines or the Army? I thought he was he's in the a Army. Mar- he's a Marine. He's in the oh, Green Marines. Oh, Marines. Oh, God. Yeah. Don't tell me I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are just so many things that make it so hard to know what really happened. And I just want to keep going back to that because it's like we could come up with something for every side. So the book, the Fatal, Fatal Vision... So the reporter, uh, Joe McGinnis, I think his name is, he got in touch with Jeffrey McDonald. And this is when, because I guess Jeffrey spent some years out of prison, like without getting prosecuted. Yeah, he spent quite a few years. 
mm-hmm. yeah, like he had, he had just completely put his life where, you know, somewhere else he started over again. Yeah. And then whenever Joe McGenna starts hanging out with Jeffrey McDonald, because it's very clear that Jeffrey loves attention. Definitely. And, but see, the thing is just because you love, there's lots of people who love attention. I love attention and (laughs) I haven't killed anybody and I'm not going to, like, I can totally say for sure. I'm not going to kill anybody, especially in my family, but I really like attention. So, and I'm also, I don't want to be like the assumption, like, well, you know, he didn't act like you, like you should act. He acted weird after that happened and it's like well just because somebody i'm pretty sure i wouldn't react at all the way he acted but i'm not him so i'm not i'm not going to judge that either i agree i feel like i'm so tired of hearing people say that i I, he didn't act the way that you should and it's like haven't we realized by now that everyone reacts differently based on life experience based on the situation at the time based on your personality like we should just know there's not like a textbook of how someone should react also i'm really tired of people saying this was personal because there was like done in a certain way or a certain Mm. number of wounds and it's like another thing i've learned from dateline is that that does not (laughs) correlate all the time you know Mm doesn't have to be personal for someone to stab you. They're like, stabbing is more personal because you're looking them in the eye. And it's like, some people like that, that are strangers. (laughs) That does not have to be personal. Have you heard of many, many people who have done that? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, yeah, we can't just expect people to fit into little niches that we think they should. And if not, Mm -hmm. then they're guilty. Like you, that's why we have to have evidence, not just circumstantial personality evidence like hard evidence yes and well and from what from my understanding of this case they do focus on physical evidence but some of it gets lost (laughs) well that is true too what do you think about that getting lost did they mention that in the book there was skin that they found under colette's fingernail and the sample goes missing well i think it was just that people weren't as careful And there wasn't like as much protocol. I don't think it was any sort of conspiracy of like, let's lose this. What good motive would the Marines have to, I keep coming back to this, to go after one of their own when they are offered up some dirty druggy hippies on a silver platter. And they could have easily fit the evidence those people and they didn't instead they chose to go after a marine a green beret it just doesn't make sense to me (laughs) i think that's a good point to keep coming back to when i'm questioning the possible hippie motive that i think yeah they would have tried their hardest to make the hippie pieces fit if possible because it's more convenient for everyone Mm -hmm. and it looks better for them but they weren't able to. But then, and then that woman, though, I still I can't get I the know. hippie woman well, out and of my she, head. And she has, by all accounts, people have signed affidavits saying this woman, Helena 
Stokely, I think she told me she killed the McDonald family. And the and for the guy too, whose name I cannot remember for the life of me. But at the same time, Jeffrey's in jail. And it's like, he's not somebody where you go, well, that guy got railroaded. Because like I said, they've got hippies on a silver platter. Right. And those, and um, Helena, she was, her and her boyfriend, they were heroin addicts. Oh, Yeah. Because later when she's being questioned in the mm-hmm. diner, like this is a couple years after mm-hmm. she had initially talked to them and someone else is questioning her for the next hearing. And she again says, she kind of gave a mixed up answer there mm-hmm. in the scene where the detective's questioning her. And she says that she knows who did it. And she says that the doctor, so Dr. McDonald wouldn't give one of her friends methadone. She was like, can you believe that? He wouldn't give it to him. So it's like establishing some kind of motive of why they would be there. Because they kept asking him, were any of your drug patients angry at you? Mm-hmm. And then then she talks a little more. And then she acts like, oh, no, I, I didn't do it. I have nothing to do with it. And it's like, at the beginning of this conversation, you were kind of alluding to the fact that you did have something to do with it. But then like, by the time you're done with your coffee, you say you didn't have anything to do with it. And you storm out. It's just so strange. Then I was thinking, like, did she have anything to do with it through him? Like, was she a patient and she slept with him for methadone or something? I don't know. My mind started going in other ways. Because why does she know and why does she keep coming back into it? And did that have a possible link between the two? Well, he had a he had a whole closet full of various pharmaceuticals. Really? In his house? Yes, in his house. And he also had um, sca- uh, scapulas. A scapulas? Shoulder blades? No. Scalpels? <laughs> Scalpels. <laughs> <laughs> he had a closet full of shoulder blades. I was like, that is alarming. <laughs> that makes him sound more guilty. <laughs> because <laughs> Shoulder blades. <laughs> I was like, I know this is not the right word. Um, yeah. Um, he had, and like syringes and all of this medical equipment and mm-hmm. a lot of pharmaceuticals, including like psychotropic and opioids and stuff. And whenever they asked wow. him where he got them, he was like, well, this whatever place he worked at was closing and they were going to burn everything. So I just took it because it was stupid to waste and I give my relative needs, you know, a heart prescription or whatever. I don't remember what he said exactly because it was this is from the book. But he had tons of diet pills. He had uh, what's that stuff called that they put? Herbalife? They use it. <laughs> yeah, they had herbal. He had herbal. He had tons of herbal life. <laughs> Actually, what happened was that Colette got him into. A multi-level <laughs> no, no. marketing scheme. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, so it's one of the drugs that they use to, like, sedate people with schizophrenia. It's really hardcore. Like Haldol? Maybe, something like that, yeah. And he had that. Wow. He had, like, so the likelihood of him having interactions with dirty, druggy hippies is pretty high, considering he has, like, a full pharmaceutical closet i didn't know about that pharmaceutical closet that helps my theory even more (laughs) i wonder if they ever looked into something like that did they mention anything in the book um i don't remember i mean i did read the book three years ago 
I know. I want you to remember every detail. (laughs) Is the book pretty much like pro him or anti him? Joe McGinnis comes out to California where Jeffrey's living and they have a deal to do this book. So Joe McGinnis has full access to him. And as he's being around him, he's starting to pick up these details because when he started, he was kind of leaning towards this guy didn't do it and he was railroaded. And also... You know, the military was very malign in 1970. Oh, Vietnam. Which is further reason for them to not be like, oh, hey, one of our Marines is a murderer of of his family. From a PR perspective, like, I guess I'd be more surprised if the military was framing him. Like, yeah. That just doesn't, I'm sorry, I just can't wrap my head around that. No, but, you're right. I will agree just, with you. And then still, in a few minutes later, I'll go back to thinking <laughs> that the hippies had something to do with it. Yeah. I can't stick to one thing. Whatever I hear, I'm like running to it like, yes, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. And then that sounds good. And then I'm coming up with the, he had a connection with a hippie woman. And that's sounding good to me. But he could also use the fact that he maybe gave drugs or refused drugs to her or one of her friends, he had exposure to her and he was like, well, they're, they're filthy hippie druggies. They'll they'll just be rounded up and thrown in jail and end a story. Yes. So I'm sure he thought it would just get wrapped up with a little bow. Like, Oh, it was these hippies. Boom. Oh, you're a doctor in a green beret. Yeah. You're one of us. It sounds like it should be enough, but you're right. Mm -hmm. Obviously there was something. So it, yeah. So, but he, you know, he went on his publicity tour. Yeah. Right. Which again is one of those things where like, that seems really tacky to me. <laughs> it does seem in poor taste. I would hundred percent agree. <laughs> and, he, and he clearly likes the attention. And I've actually, I watched like the original, there's like, a, I found a clip a while back when I read the book. Of him on the show, and I and I saw him on some other interviews, and I was like, "This mm. guy is shady." Like, I just got this gross feeling from him, and I was like, "I don't like my gut didn't like him." But again, he might just be a sleazeball who likes to sleep around and yeah, do speed and be like, "Look at me, I'm really, I'm really the guy. I'm so hot," you know. Just because you're like that doesn't mean you're a murderer. Exactly. Like they said, (laughs) so many people cheat on their wives, but it doesn't mean that they're going to murder them. Yeah. I know. It does seem really very in poor taste to go on a press tour. And he seemed, and again, it's like, are they framing it more this way just in the movie? Or was he really this eager to go on the press tour and to get interviews with magazines and all that? No, he was that eager. Okay, I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think after mm-hmm. I heard this, because I think they did this on My Favorite Murder, like a couple years ago I heard it, and mm-hmm. then I looked up more about him and remember being like, Ugh. I, I want to look at it again and see the interviews because, yeah, he's 100% cheeseball, 100% like womanizer, narcissist. But again, is he a murderer? Yeah. Well, he was the, like, some of the psycho... Okay, (laughs) speaking of um, the psychological evaluations that were Mm -hmm. performed on him, so the Rorschach test, the Rorschach test in the movie was one of my favorite because they made it look like 
this almighty psychologist could just tell what kind of man he was based off of the (laughs) stories that he told from the blotches. And like, I do think there's actually something to being able to tell about something about a person by what they think of first. And like, I took, I took improv for a little bit and there was this one guy in one of the classes that I was like, this guy has like creepy, violent fantasies because when you're doing improv, you're like thinking what comes, quickly, what, what comes what's just coming out of your mouth, what's <laughs> flowing on out. And the stuff that was flowing on out of him was like weirdly violent and creepy. I, so I do think there's some validity to like those old psychoanalytic methods of evaluation, but I just like the simplification that they used in the movie of like, this is a symbol of him being evaluated psychologically. Exactly. <laughs> like he couldn't have done it. He passed the test with flying colors. <laughs> like there are many people who can pass those tests and then go to dinner that night and murder the person they went to dinner with. Yes. I think maybe then they had less awareness of that than we have now. They were still more just by the book, like, oh, well, if he, he ticks this box, then he's innocent. There's like no nuance. It's like you're either straight psychopath and you're going to fail all these tests and divulge <laughs> crazy information and wildly fail your Rorschach with terrible imagery that's violent, like you said, or you're completely innocent. And it's like yes. they didn't see room for anything in between. And yet they still went after him as being the murderer. <laughs> The military was not interested in the results of those tests. <laughs> well, and what's interesting is whenever um, Jeff's mom, Harry, gets the call about what happened and that he's been that he's been arrested, or however they do it in the military, um, she says, "Whoever did this would have to be crazy." And I was like, "Actually, that's not true at all." No. <laughs> And it, it, the first person I thought of was John Lust. Yeah. He didn't appear crazy to anybody, probably except his family. But to outside people, he wasn't crazy. Then I, I looked up like a bunch of statistics about familicide. Ooh. Although I like the term family annihilator. Yeah. Because it, it, it like, sounds more violent. Yeah. Less scientific. <laughs> what did it uh, say? What did... Do they line up with what you were seeing with this case or with Jeffrey McDonald? Well, I mean, there's, there's like four different kinds of family annihilators and I'm not going to go through them because it's just like, (laughs) you know, but there's one group that's called anomic. What's that mean? That's the category. So anomic is this guy's name. It's like, Kierberg or Kierberg or something. But anyway, so it started out as an economic theory, but it translated into, they started using the word for whenever you have a person that is losing control of his life, like losing control. Usually that's in reference to economic, like he lost his job. He can't support his family. Basically the John List, John List list is a good example of an anomic family annihilator because his family, his daughter was being a sinful teenager who like 
wanted to act in plays, which was really sinful or something. Oh my goodness. Also, he was horribly, horribly in debt. Basically, though, what it boiled down to was that his family wasn't good enough for him. And then he killed him. So it's like the th- it's like there's frustrations of my family isn't good enough and there's chaos here so I'm going to lash out violently and kill them. Those are the guys that start over somewhere else. There's other people that annihilate their families that are abusive They're very jealous, paranoid, generally aggressive, feel like they're family's property. So there's different, there's all different kinds of motives. So do you think, so you think Jeffrey McDonald fit into the anomic model of the family annihilator? I think so. I feel like, I feel like if he, if he did it, it was because he was just sick of having a family. That's what it sounds like it would be i mean just from the things that we kind of talked about before and again in the movie they don't really go into a lot of detail except through the flashbacks of the grandparents they kind of hint that there were problems but they never really get into too much depth so they're living together more now for the first time also in the beginning when they first show up and they're reuniting in north carolina at Fort Bragg, Cola dad brings her and the kids to meet up with him. He's not there when they get there, which is like, okay, he's busy. But that just kind of gives you an idea of like, oh, it's not a high priority for him to be there to meet them when they arrive. He doesn't have any furniture there. And he had told Colette that it would be at least partially furnished by the army. And so it's showing that he's put no thought into preparing for them to like make it nice for them or make them comfortable when they get there. I mean, he lied to them. Oh, saying like, it, would be it establishes a pattern of him lying because or it hints at it, which I actually he did have a pattern of lying. <laughs> Sounds like um, it. But so it was like hinting at that because she was basically like, well, you said the army was partially furnishing it. Right. And they did not. And it, so it wasn't even a thing of. If you said, I'm going to partially furnish it, and then you didn't get to it in time. I mean, he deliberately lied. He knew the whole time that the army was not partially furnishing it. It's like, why even lie about that? Well, and then he's, then he's like, we can, or we can just sleep on sleeping bags on the hardwood floor, which to me was showing that he wanted to be in control of the situation. And that her dad, like her dad was like, why don't we go to a hotel? And there's no reason not to, but he wants to be the one that makes it was like, I'm making the decision here. This is my family. Right. I'm making the decisions and I'm going to say that sleeping bags are good enough for my family. On the hardwood floor. Despite the fact that my wife is like practically in tears because I disappointed her because she knows I'm a liar. <laughs> yeah. By that like, point, she knows. That is one of the things with the with family annihilators. A large percentage of them feel like they have ownership over their family and they see them as objects. There's a, you know, there's the the malignant narcissism trend amongst like, I think it was like 65% of family annihilators had some kind of a personality disorder that was connected. <sighs> the through the through line was narcissism. Which makes sense. I mean, it makes total sense. That data is only among the men that didn't commit suicide, though. 
Because there's a much higher percent of family annihilators who then commit suicide. Mm-hmm. And they they more they're more like oh I can't my family can't survive without me right and and I'm failing these yeah. are the guys that are like out of work mm-hmm. they just can't get the life's throwing them a bunch of curveballs and they can't handle it and they have that like masculine like brainwashing of I'm the man no one can take care of this but me and if I'm not mm-hmm. there these people that I own are just going to wither and die. So I'm actually saving them. That's a very different thing than, hey, I like to pop diet pills and party with chicks, man. (laughs) And my wife keeps getting knocked up and now she's taking college (laughs) classes and I have to feed the fucking kids. That is where he draws the line. Yeah. Yeah. So So John List was like that where it's like, oh, well, my family has become accustomed to the certain lifestyle and now that I don't have this income anymore... They're not going to be able to go on with less money or in a smaller house. It's like they're just making the decision for them. Like, oh, it's better to just be dead than have to live without me or with my mo- without my money. Well, and I I was thinking about that, and I was like, it seems like the deeper thing is that they would rather have their family dead than have their family see them as a failure. Mm-hmm. You're right. And that's like classic narcissism, like narcissistic shame, which is like the root of narcissism, you know, especially like they can't handle anybody seeing them as like less than perfect. Yeah. And, but I don't think that's what this is. Oh, with Jeff and McDonald. No, no. I think he thinks everyone else already does think he's perfect, but they're not perfect enough for him. Like you said, like, so he just needs to get them out of the way. <laughs> Even little girls. And it's like, because then if he just killed his wife, he would have to live with the little girls and take care of them. And that Mm -hmm. would get in his way. And if he divorces, he has to pay alimony and he's tethered (sighs) and he can't live his playboy jet set lifestyle because he's a doctor. God damn it. It wouldn't look good if he got a divorce. Oh, there's also that. Yeah. Because there is still a stigma around that. I, I forget that like sometimes the divorce used to be. Yeah. Frowned upon. <laughs> definitely. In the military, there's probably the, an element of that, or at least in the 70s there was. And then when the they were removing the bodies of Colette and the girls, there was like a priest there. So if they were a Catholic, then there's definitely mm. like a stigma against divorce. Well, also in the book, if I remember correctly, Colette found out about his affairs. <gasps> okay. So in the movie, Already. they never say that. No, but... Like- make it seem like she did like she kind of knew but she mm. didn't know for sure so tell oh. me so that makes me think that i wanted to ask you so you know the scene the flashback with mildred Paulette's mom has a flashback of being in their apartment with one of the little girls i think it was kimmy so okay back to me seeing this movie when i was like what were we six, six or seven or something yeah What's it's a, su- it's so a Sunday night movie, so it's like basically. on Sunday night for families to watch together on like NBC. I'm the same age as this little girl. Exactly. She's yes. got blonde hair. I've got blonde hair. And get this, her rainbow shirt. Yeah. I had the oh exact same rainbow shirt. And I remember when I saw it again, I remembered thinking, I oh remember seeing this the first time and being terrified. 
Oh my God. And and thinking this little girl like could be me. Yeah. So either somebody could break into my house and kill me or now my dad might kill me, Mm -hmm. which I didn't really ever think that. But, and you know, the thing I'm noticing, there's this thread through, which is really, you know, I feel like whenever we, we start watching these movies, it's like, what's up with women? Like how are women being treated? That's like one of the lens I look through. Yes. With these movies. But what I keep coming back to is that my big messages I'm getting have a lot more to do with the fact that men are scum. They will always betray you. And half the time, they're probably going to kill you. Yeah. So what the fuck is that doing to men? Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) Because you mentioned that before. I think on the nerds of like, what is this showing the bo- the boys, the little boys watching this? What message are they getting to? And that's a really good point. I didn't really think about. And I mean, that's not even what we started this for. We weren't starting out to be like, let's find out all the terrible things that men have done. No, not at all. How we were like turned against men as children. But it just is prevalent through the stuff that we're watching. And yeah, so it's making us it's doing something to us, but yeah, what is it doing to the boys? That's a good question. Let's say even little boys didn't watch it. All of the women that grow up to be women who are consuming this media that's constantly telling us that men are men are slime and you just have to learn to live with it, ladies. You know, I mean, I don't know how many women I've heard talk about not trusting the men in their lives. And then I look at the men in their lives and I'm like, why wouldn't you trust them? Mm. But it's like, it's because maybe part of it (laughs) has to do with seeing men constantly being terrible to women who are just trying to please them. That's true. (laughs) That has been a theme through the movies that we've watched. (laughs) And if you have a kid and that kid sleeps in bed in your marital bed, you're probably uh, going to be cheated on or you're going to be murdered or both. Yeah, that's what we've seen so far. So it's like women be a great wife. Do not let your kids get in the bed where your husband should be, but also be great mothers and keep the kids happy and quiet and out of dad's way. So women are just expected to do it all. But then when she tries to do even more, don't do too much, because if you start going to college, then that's going to put more burden on him. So you're really neglecting both of your duties there, wife and mother duties. And then you're really just headed down a road where you're looking for some type of trouble. Something's going to go wrong. You're going to get cheated on. You could get divorced. You could get murdered. Or you're going to have to give something up to make them happy to keep either any of those things from happening like that's the general message that comes across in these movies yes and that's just like a behind the scenes that's not even like the point of the movie that's just that's the movie that's the thread the pulse of the movie the underlying like just assumed narrative like oh yeah if this is happening it's leading up to something bad she's not doing everything right and even though it seems like she is, it's just not quite enough. Exactly. Why did she let that girl get into bed with her? And then why did the girl have to wet the bed? Yes. And that was enough to set him off. God damn it. He already had to do the dishes. 
And yeah. now what? He has to clean up after his damn daughter who already cock blocked him. It's a double whammy. <laughs> if he did it, that would, I would say, definitely be the seminal event that kicked it off that night, right? Yes, totally. He woke up to pee in the bed because he was sleeping in the bed too. Oh, I thought he brought her when he was going in. She had crawled into his bed and peed in it. Like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Sorry, I don't know why. I, I thought that because earlier he made this comment that didn't fit when they were interrogating him. Mm-hmm. He, he made a comment that was like, I got up out of bed. Yeah. Did you? Yes. And they didn't say anything about it at the time. And I was like, but I was wondering about that too. <laughs> well, and I guess, so my visual of it, this is how I made it up in my mind. Oh, if he had the been scenario, in the bed. The little girl crawled into bed with them after the Jeffrey and Colette were already in bed asleep. Like she just crawled into bed and snuggled up by her dad. And then she wet the bed. And then Jeff woke up and saw and felt, probably felt <laughs> what happened. He was that was the last thread. He's already sick of his family. He's already having affairs with other women. He's on diet pills. Amphetamines are notorious, which were amphetamines at the time, which are notorious for like people having violent episodes. Then probably Colette wakes up too. She probably is like, don't get pissed off or something. You know what I mean? She's probably like, come on, like, because he's probably, because he's like kind of a baby in a way. And it's like, in the sense that, you know, he's not supposed to do any of the woman work. So there's probably some kind of, like, fight. Yeah. And then it just fucking went haywire. And maybe she was like, I know you cheat on me. And maybe everything came to the surface. Right. He snapped. If. Miss Stokely and that other guy, the hippies, if they hadn't been walking around telling people that they did it, I wouldn't debate at all. I'd be like, yeah, he totally did it. I just think it's so bizarre that these two people would insist that they were there. Why would you do that? Yeah. What is their motivation for saying that? Unless they just really want to be like, what sort I'm looking for? infamous or notorious like the people involved in the mm. Sharon Tate murder and mm-hmm. for some reason they would want that but you because would think their brains are fried with drugs so they're not thinking clearly they were both addicted to heroin and they were addicted for a long time what if she really legitimately did not remember right what happened and he didn't either because they had a real fucked up wild crazy drug night and they often black out college <laughs> what if they convinced themselves that they did it because they couldn't remember yeah that's a possibility i mean i think that happens but again why and then why would you go around and keep telling people but then deny it but but who but see that's the thing of like maybe you or i wouldn't do that i can't speak for people that you know do heroin it just i just keep coming back to the fact that he has been convicted and yeah so he was eligible for parole in 91 is what it showed like at the end of the movie but so obviously he didn't get it he's still in there (laughs) okay people keep looking at this evidence and the conclusion (laughs) keeps being that Mm -hmm. the clean cut medical doctor green beret is the murderer 
And the dirty, drugged out hippies are not. Yeah. Again, when you put it that way, it makes total sense. (laughs) And I know that's not like physical evidence. They could have easily set those people up. They could have. So easy. They could have. Why does she keep going around saying it? What if they came to him and were like, hey, you have drugs. Like, we we want some drugs. And he says, I'll keep you guys supplied if you come in and kill my family and make it look and injure me slightly and make it look like, you know, real crazy. And then I'll just act like I, I don't remember anything. What if they were there, but he was also involved? Yes, that's what I'm like kind of along the lines of what I was thinking too of if he had some involvement with the hippie woman like because she knows about it mm-hmm. and she used drugs he had drugs he gave it, drugs out yeah I mean I didn't know he had that whole closet but it's just so strange that he could describe her so well and it was lining up and she wasn't denying it and she did give some details that made it sound like she was there but then it's just too coincidental i feel like there is some connection between those two between jeffrey mcdonald and the hippie woman and the drugs that's the only explanation to me that fits all of the evidence both physical like actual real evidence but then also the context (laughs) and behaviors of the people involved that makes more sense than anything else does anyone talk about this link at all or this possibility well okay so whenever fatal vision was written i don't think anyone knew that miss stokely was running around saying that she was involved because she had moved somewhere else and this was something that came up later after the book was written i think so so i feel like he joe mcginnis discounted that and was like brushed it off as Miss Stokely looks like every other woman. She's in this ubiquitous uniform that's basically like this 1970s version of yoga pants. <laughs> right. So that was kind of how he framed it. But also Joe McGinnis was hanging out with Jeffrey and being like, this guy is callous. He got creeped out by him. He did. Yeah. And that was what made him be like, wait, I think maybe this guy actually did it. Because I, th- I feel like he came in thinking he didn't do it. Okay. And then after hanging around him, he was like, wait a second. And then he was investigating what Jeffrey was telling him about his life story and coming up with like, this guy's a liar. Uh-huh. <laughs> like he just... He operates from a place of how can I look amazing at all times? And that's why Colette's father or stepfather, you said? Freddie, yeah. what he found out, too. Because he kept asking him, like, when the the military was first doing the hearing to determine if they were going to bring charges against him. And they were making it private so no one could see it. It was just done on the base. Colette's stepfather kept asking him because Colette's stepfather and her mother were both supporting Jeffrey for a long time. They believed he was innocent and they were fighting for him. But then her stepfather just kept asking, hey, can you get me the transcripts from your hearing? Because he wanted to use it as more ways to help him and like get the word out that he's innocent. And then Jeffrey McDonald just kept delaying it like, oh, it's a lot of paperwork. I don't know if I can get it. Regardless of whether or not he's innocent uh, of the murders, he would hide it because of the infidelity information that yes. would be in there that he wouldn't want her parents to know. So I'm like, that doesn't necessarily mean he's guilty. But then 
obviously, as Colette's stepfather reads more and more, he's like, this is not adding up. And actually, he was saying that anytime he personally asked Jeffrey for information, he would just get too tearful and he couldn't describe anything that had happened. But then later he saw like a newspaper where Jeffrey had given an interview and given all these details. So he was like, wait a minute, why won't he tell me anything? But when it's a reporter, he'll just spill his guts. And so all those things were adding up to where he started to doubt him as well. Freddie says, is their story for sale? That's what Jeffrey's doing. He's like doing his Hollywood tour. Yes, he's doing the press tour of his family's murder. So after Freddie Colette's stepfather is already becoming suspicious because he read the different story in the newspaper and he still hadn't got the transcripts. And then he sees him on TV, Jeffrey McDonald giving his account of his injuries, and they're completely different from what had actually happened. He made them sound much worse, that he had almost died, and that he spent all this time in the ICU. And none of it was true. Colette's parents really became alarmed and started really questioning him. That was kind of like the turning point, I would say. Okay, so now is a great time to tell you what my favorite quote. So whenever Jeffrey's on the late night talk show he's describing what what happened that fatal night and he says i had just finished putting the dishes away even though i'm a green beret this says everything because that statement is so loaded because i'm a green beret god damn it and i am here doing my wife's work yeah just like what we've been saying You're right. That sums it all up. So then he's telling the story of what happened that night. And he keeps talking about how Colette call out to him while she's being murdered Mm -hmm. and say, why are they doing this to me? Now, when I first heard that, I thought, why are you doing this to me? Makes way more sense. Again, I don't want to be like, well, I wouldn't say that if I was getting murdered. But but at the same time, it like seriously sounds like something you actually really would say to somebody who you were very close to that was murdering you suddenly. Yes. It just seems interesting to me that that she didn't she didn't call out for help. And I thought, well. He's like trying to stick as close to the truth as possible so he doesn't fuck up his story anymore. But obviously he can't say, why are you doing this to me? So it's like I had a body response to it of like, that's a weird thing. It is a weird thing to say. Just That's the only thing you say. Why are they doing this to me, Jeffrey? Yeah, I feel like there would just be screams and just like help, like you said, just general like help me screams. Or maybe just yell his name. If he if she thinks he's in the other room and she wants him to come, maybe you would just yell for him but not be like, ask him as if he knew why it was happening to her. Exactly. It's bizarre. And you're right. Just interchanging that one word with you makes way more sense. And that probably is what actually happened. If he did it. <laughs> yeah. Well, to me, he... To me, that statement, why are they doing this to me? makes almost no sense. Whereas, why are you doing this to me? 
makes a lot of sense, especially considering that he's actually convicted and sitting in jail. (laughs) Yeah, it makes more sense when you think of it that way. (laughs) Well, I also feel like there's all of these discoveries of false confessions, people being wrongfully convicted in these atrocious ways, and all of this stuff is rightfully coming out and being exposed and there's all these documentaries that are trying to like exonerate people and it really makes on top of all of like the suspicion around cops and everything it makes it really easy to suspect that what the authorities are telling you is bullshit Mm -hmm. especially when like there's this alternate of these hippies that are confessing. They're like walking around confessing for 10 years, you know? So it's, it's just easy to still be like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I guess deep down, I feel like it makes the most sense that everybody was involved. I do too. I'm on that ship now. <laughs> I'm jumped on that ship. Because why are they talking about it? Why is she talking about it? And it turns out the blonde hair in Colette's hand, though, was her own, they said. Because they were, that was like one of the things of evidence was, oh, the blonde hair, the blonde hippie woman. But it wasn't even that. I don't know. I honestly, I'm like embarrassed that I don't just go 100% along with it being him. But I do feel like now there was some hippie involvement. But... I don't think that he would have had them um, injure him. Like, I think he would have injured himself because he is a surgeon and he would have known exactly how to do it. And there's no way that he would trust them to do that. Yes. And so, because I was going to say, if the hippies did it, then why were his gloves found there? But he could have been using the gloves for the weapons that he used on himself. I really keep always going back to that he did it. People are like, well, you can't be that violent. And then like, you're just not that violent again. You can have violent outbursts and then they're done. Like the thing happens and then you go back to your quote unquote normal life. Yeah. We've seen it many times by now. Well, and then like Gary Ridgway, the Green River killer, Mm -hmm. like he, he stopped killing. He got married and stopped killing. Wow. Wow. And like so he marriage can, really can change you. Yeah, I guess <laughs> women don't lose hope. You can fix him. <laughs> oh my god, I didn't know that. That was one of the reasons he was hard to catch, is because he quit doing it. Wow. Uh, anyway, that's not here nor there, but I mean, it makes the most sense. His blood was everywhere. His pajamas were everywhere. Their blood was all over him. I mean. His story is bonkers. His story's dumb. But given the actual physical evidence against Jeff, (laughs) he was not happy about another kid. When I look at these old nuclear family dynamics that are the ideal, I find that what it really is saying is that woman, if you don't treat your man like a child... And just slip right in there and be his mommy, then you're not doing your job. And men, if you don't force your women to treat you like a child, (laughs) you have every right to kill them and start over again. Man, that's heavy. 
There is a lot of child dynamic. I mean, I never really thought of it that way. But so the men just need to be like babied and taken care of like children. Yeah. But then you also see, you have to sleep with them. So yes. you've got that element. Yeah. Oh, you have to do it on on demand anytime. Because then if you don't, again, just like in fatal attraction. Yeah. If you don't give it to your husband whenever he says, give it to me, he's just going to get it somewhere else. He's got to have it. And if you're not giving it up, I mean, he's got to have it. You're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. If you were alive (laughs) pre-2000, yes, you got Mm -hmm. that message in every single movie, no matter what style of movie it was, the dude's going to cheat. He really did. It's no wonder I was so insecure because I've been like conditioned for it my entire life. Why are we getting this message? Who is it coming from? What purpose is it serving? Is it really just to like scare women into being what men think they should be? Is that why they make that message so prevalent, do you think? I don't know anything about current celebrities unless they like get in trouble for something terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, like a like an actual crime. If you if you're not a if you're a modern celebrity and you didn't commit some really weird crime, I really don't know anything about you and I don't want to. I don't want to give energy. And I don't mean that like in an, an insulting way, like, I don't want to give them my energy. I mean <laughs> it like, I don't want to put my energy, my weird energy of like, I'm spying on your life uh-huh. onto somebody who's still alive. Because I actually think that people feel that coming at them. And it's like, why do a lot of celebrities go cuckoo? It might be because they have all of other people's energies like constantly bombarding them. And so yeah. I don't want to do that. It doesn't feel good to me. But if you're a dead celebrity, <laughs> okay. I want to read all of the salacious gossip I can find. <laughs> the, yeah. the bigger, weirder scandal, the better. Mm-hmm. And what I have found is that Hollywood, from its very beginning, as the movie industry, attracted really disgusting, perverted, gross men. <sighs> yeah. And that legacy is alive and well. So my thoughts on it are that yes, we are being conditioned, but we're not being we're being conditioned by really gross men who want women to be submissive. And so they're just and then they're and I don't think that they're going, "Ooh, we're going to put this message in the movie. It's just that they already think that way. And so it's just going to be naturally reflected in whatever they're making because they're, they're creating an ideal world, right? These gross guys who are just like gross in the sense that they're wallowing in their own shame to the point where they have to treat people like shit all the time to feel better about themselves. Their ideal world is one in which they get to treat women like shit. Yeah. But I don't think that's reflective of the average guy. No. Not not now. I think maybe like maybe back in 1970, I do think, I mean, like clearly, you know, women were treated really terribly by nice guys, da, da, da. It's just my experience, personal experience with men has been that they're generally pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't, with extreme exceptions, most of the men I have been 
in any kind of relationship with have been trustworthy gentlemen. And I know that that's not a lot of women's experience, but it's been mine. So my experience does not line up at all with the lessons that I received from these movies we've been watching. And there's been this weird struggle where I can see that playing out. Like you said, with like, oh, this, this is probably why I like get jealous for no reason. For seemingly no reason. I feel like we were just kind of raised to be on guard about those things based on all of the images that we saw. Like we said, just from these few movies that we've seen, that's been like a prevailing message. And that's not even what we were seeking them out for, but it's just there. Maybe it's not prevailing because it's just kind of the undercurrent. Because like we said, it's just assumed that's just the way that it is. So they don't even make it a big deal in the movie all the time. It's just a backdrop. Yeah, it's just a backdrop because that's the reality. And so you just take it as normal. And yeah, I think that does, it has to affect you. If you see that over and over and over as your example of what's going to happen in a relationship or a marriage is that like, well, eventually there's going to be, he's going to cheat on you and he could possibly murder you or you could possibly have to murder his mistress. Like things can go wrong. While you're just going along minding your business, thinking that you're doing everything normally and doing the right thing and that everything is fine, it's not. And so you can't really ever relax or be secure because you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop (laughs) of the one time that you um, don't make dinner or don't have sex with him or just any little thing that's just like, oh, well, that I have been tolerating her all this time i have been a good guy i have not cheated i've been doing the right thing and this is enough i've had it now it's my turn and i'm just gonna do this is what guys do i'm gonna do it (laughs) i'm going to cheat and it's just that's the way it's been it's like it just shows this buildup of like events 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 it's gonna happen eventually but when and then there's just one turning point where it happens and you just expect it in the movie and then eventually you expect it in real life and I was definitely so jealous so I really was kind of like a long-term relationship queen so I didn't have a ton of experience with that but yeah my experiences have been good except I did have a college boyfriend who did cheat on me (laughs) so then it just like fulfilled my fears like my prophecies really but then eventually I did get back together with him, which I was so embarrassed of that I like hid it from my friends because I was like, I can't believe that I'm going back out with this person after he cheated on me. <clears throat> but that set me up for having trouble trusting. So then when I met Dan, who is like totally opposite to right. this person from college, <laughs> right. I mean, Dan had to really deal with a lot for a long time of me being really jealous and suspicious and I'm glad that he like stuck it out with me because he was getting all of this treatment that was not based on anything he was doing. It was just based on my experience and my preconceived notions of what is going to happen in a relationship. Um, And so I blame all of these movies for that. (laughs) I do too. Like rewatching them through the lens of what message was I picking up as a susceptible child who doesn't have a filter of this adult content 
the more I'm like, whoa, this stuff like really shaped what I expect. Yes. And I knew that, but people don't talk about it. I feel like, I feel like people, well, because it gets into this area. If you say, yes, absolutely. This movie or this music is having an influence on me as a person. It opens the door to censorship. If you keep seeing this thing in a movie, then that means that, you know, you're going to, it's a bad thing and we need to make sure that's not in the movie. And, and like, I never want to go to that place. And I think that if you're an actual, if you're watching a movie that's appropriate for your age, when you're little, you're even more when you're watching it, like your body is like experiencing it. And that's imprinting, like that's like physically imprinting. Neural connections are forming. One like little thing I wanted to say about Fort Bragg in North Carolina being an open base at the time of the murders and like hippies being around, (laughs) hanging around the base. And I thought I had an LSD dealer that lived on the army base. What? He was in the, he was in the army. Wow. Yeah. So that was my. Did you go on base to get it? Yeah. Oh, wow. But at that point, it was not an open base, correct? Well, it wasn't an open base, but the way that I met him was through a friend of mine whose dad was a colonel. And he (sighs) had access to the base because he lived on the base. Yeah. And he was like, hey, I know where I know where to get the good stuff. Not where you would expect. No. That's amazing. I I just thought about I just thought about that when (laughs) with these hippies running around. Oh my god! So was that extra scary? Was it very scary to be on the base with drugs? No, I wasn't scared at all because his dad was really high up. He was like one of the highest ranking people on the base, so I had no fear whatsoever about it. That's good. So, oh my god! Yeah. So, but his dad was high up. But was he enlisted as well? Your dealer? No, he was a teenager. Oh, oh, wait. Sorry. Sorry. No. Okay. So my friend was a teenager too. Uh I went to school with him and then his dad was the high, I don't know what the rank was, but he's really, really up there on the base. The guy that sold the acid. He was enlisted. He was enlisted. Okay. Yeah. That's what I wanted to clarify. Oh my God. I mean, I got a big kick out of it. Yeah. I mean, that like really heightens the thrill, the daring aspect of it. If it wasn't already like enough to be doing LSD, you're getting it from an army base. Yes. That's incredible. I think it's pretty funny. I just almost didn't even think about going there because I just felt really safe with my friend because his dad was like the boss of the base or whatever. So your personal experience led you to think of the hippies around the base in Fort Bragg on an open base. Yes. And then. Well, that made me think about that. So that made it make more sense. Well, that's what made me think that maybe they went looking for drugs or that he (laughs) was actually dealing drugs to people given the giant closet of drugs and also 
the fact that he had obvious knowledge of specific drug addicts. Yes. So I was like, well, it, it wouldn't surprise me if a military guy was selling drugs because I've had experience with a military <laughs> guy selling drugs. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, it does happen from personal experience. Yes. So there's some good like circumstantial evidence. So we know that it happens. And so like the hippie woman, when she was being interviewed later in that diner and she said, the detective was asking her, her about Dr. McDonald, if he ever gave her or her friends drugs or something like that. They kept different people harping on, were any of your drug patients angry at you? And then when the detective was talking to her, then she did say, yes, he wouldn't give my friend methadone. Can you believe that? He wouldn't give him any. So then it's like, was her friend one of his patients, a surgical patient at some point? And if he was, that would mean he was in the army as well. Because you don't work on civilians if you're an army or marine doctor. So that's another connection to where that person could have been on the base as well. This friend that he didn't give the methadone to. And so then did Dr. McDonald make a deal with him on the side? Like, I can't prescribe you anymore. But if you come to my place, I have a whole closet full of these drugs. And then that somehow could materialize into whether or not he did enlist the quote-unquote hippies to help him or having them there and mm -hmm. establishing that they do come around made it more plausible when he did use his story that they were involved. Yeah. I really feel like the drug and hippie element is a big part of it that I feel like no one talks about. Well, it's because it can't be explained. Mm -hmm. That he was providing them drugs somehow. Or, I mean, like, well, also, why are these people confessing? Like, it doesn't fit. Like, them, like, he fits better with the evidence. Yeah. From what I could tell. And clearly from what a jury can tell and everybody else that pursued him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just feel like he did it. <laughs> I know. He and he did. is in jail. <laughs> I just want to work in the the hippie well, and personal drug supply element has to have yes. something to do with it. Either just trying, he was trying to strengthen his alibi or he was connected to them in some way. He just was. Totally. He'd have to be or yeah. else he wouldn't know about them. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't know about him. I know. There's something there. Yeah. We'll have to look into this. Yeah. <laughs> more but okay he did it he did it he did it it just makes sense well we're not he even the part two <laughs> cheese and rice oh my god there's so much i know there's so much so i think we've talked a lot this time about the message that we did get even if it was subconsciously and not a huge part of the movie the message that we did get as women as far as what to expect from how men treat us and how relationships can go and what the expectations are for us to keep everything in line. Basically we need to keep things in line or it's going to get out of control in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's just an unspoken fact that it's the woman's responsibility to do that. And I think that your quote, your favorite quote is so good because it's lyrical and it sums up everything. It really sums up everything. That's mm -hmm. kind of like our theory of what set it off. So, yeah. um, 
Say it again. I did want to say that this movie made me terrified of ice picks. Ooh, yeah. Like I went over to my, well, over to Aunt Pishy's house, like later after I saw this movie and I pulled her drawer open and she had an ice pick. And I remembered just like recoiling Uh. and and being like, (laughs) like, you know, when you're a little kid, like that seems ridiculous now, but like, it really scared me. I mean, I think they are still kind of scary. They're made just for stabbing things. I mean, there's nothing you do with that besides violently hack away at something. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And they did show when the grandma was having one of her remembrances, they were putting something in the freezer and she had the ice pick and was like hacking, which like, where's your ice pick? Yeah. She's like hacking away at the yeah. ice. I was like, okay, we get it. Foreshadowing. Yeah. So that was like foreshadowing. And then also going against one of the things he said because when they were questioning him and they said did you have this knife did you have this ice pick and he was like no no but i'm gonna say okay yeah he could lie and say they didn't have it but it's kind of dumb to say no i didn't have this knife if you did you know why not just like yeah i had this kitchen knife and i had an ice pick what's the big deal but they're kind of making it seem like he was lying about it but if you move a lot and you are like going place to place and you're not the one that's primarily in the kitchen. Maybe you don't know what knives you have and you don't know what ice pick you have, especially when you're a surgeon and a green beret and your wife is the one that's at home. Why would he, he doesn't have to know that. So I don't think that that's like strong evidence either. Also, why were their knives made like daggers? <laughs> did you notice that? It's like, who has a kitchen knife that's shaped like a dagger? What is that for? Maybe they're like old steak knives. I guess they called it like the hickory I, knife or something. It had like yeah. a wooden thick handle, but it was just straight yeah. down dagger style. I've never cut meat with anything like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, speaking of knives, okay. Mm-hmm. Since you're a doctor, oh god, he pulled the knife oh, out of yeah. his wife. Okay, now mm-hmm. I thought you weren't supposed to pull things out of people until. They were at the hospital. Right. That's true. It would generally be recommended to keep it in there. Um, And I was surprised that they didn't mention that in the movie as well, because they were kind of harping on every little detail of what he said. But then if they did say anything, that's another thing where it would just come back to in a moment of panic. If he really hadn't done it, you just see a knife in your husband or wife and you want to take it out. You're not thinking in like a medical way at that time. Yes. I guess I thought if he's this hotshot doctor, I just, I was like, I wonder if you would almost like have muscle memory of like that you respond to crisis in a calm, collected, decision oriented way. Like, isn't that why they torture you for years of medical school (laughs) and deprive you of sleep so that you can, you can handle stress and still be able to make logical, clear, concise, rational decisions. True. Yeah. That's a definite part of being a doctor is being able to handle a crisis and make those decisions when things are going south and you've got to jump in and make that call. But I would just say that, yeah, he had muscle memory, I'm sure. And like he did go in to do the resuscitation on her, which is something that would, you know, a doctor would automatically do. But 
if he was not the one who did it in that moment, it's different when you're seeing your family member. Like you think more as a family member than a doctor at those times. And so it's different than when you're working in your role as a doctor with a patient at the hospital. When it's something happening in your own home and someone that you're directly connected to, it does change the way that you would react or function because a different part of your brain is being activated in that this is my wife that I'm (laughs) saving. You know, I love Mr. Jones and I want to save him as well, but this is like the mother of my children. There's a different part of your brain that's going to activate and think differently in that circumstance. Yeah. And then eventually the doctor mode would kick in and he would do the resuscitation, but... It's very convenient if he murdered everyone to say he pulled it out in panic. It gives him a good reason to be bloody. Definitely. To be really bloody. Freddie, whenever he finally got the transcripts, he pointed out 123 false false statements by Jeff. Oh, that many. Like That's a (laughs) lot of false statements. That's why Jeff didn't want him to have the transcripts. (laughs) Yeah. Even if you're super confused. Yeah. I mean, like I totally get, I've been in like, I've been in literal life or death situations and Mm -hmm. it's confusing. I can understand that. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. And nobody died. So like, I Mm -hmm. can't imagine what it would be like if people died around you and like that actually happened. However, Yeah. That you couldn't remember every little detail people expect you well if you if it was the day that your family member died you'd think you would remember and it's like no you don't know you don't know how you would react in that situation your brain is overloaded but yeah 123 that's a lot i would have to say yeah and it was a sunday evening movie so like probably everyone's family was everyone's family letting them watch this a Sunday no. night movie? No, they weren't. Just our cool parents. Yeah. What time would it air? I wonder. Probably you know? eight our time, eight or nine. Yeah, and it's like school the next day, so we probably should in bed. In bed. But my parents let me stay up late, which my, I think is another factor as to why I saw so many things. Me too. Other kids did not. Or that I, I didn't seen. have a bedtime. Yeah. If I could get up and go to school, <laughs> you're whatever. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really have a strict bedtime either, which I think is cool. I mean, I feel like we were mature for our age. And so our parents trusted us. Or is it because that's how our parents were? We had to be more mature. Which one is it? I don't know. I I think it's both. I think it's both too. Because I feel like I do. I, yeah, I just, I feel like it, ha- I feel like everything's always both. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I do think that there was a part of our, of our parents that probably were like, oh, hey, clearly my child understands more than a normal kid. Uh-huh. So that's cool because now I don't have to like always be like in little kid mode. And I can treat, I can treat them like an adult, like a little mini adult. And then I can have a buddy. (laughs) I can have a friend and it's less work for me because now I just have a friend and I don't have like as much discipline happening that I need to be doing. And I don't have to like spend so much energy, like seeing what they're watching or like, um, there was one, do you remember, I'll I'll add it the name out but do you remember Aaron Aaron Signal yeah her mom 
read all of her books. Oh, wow. Before she could, before she was allowed to read them. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad we didn't have that. No, that was like insanity. That's too much, right? Yeah, that's way (laughs) too much. No, and she told me that. And I I guess I was probably like 10. Little kid books. It's not like she's reading, you know, in cold blood. (laughs) Yeah. Or V.C. Andrews, which I read in fifth grade. Oh, Um, in fifth grade? Yeah. Somehow I never got onto that V.C. Andrews train. You and Anna both. uh, I missed it. I think it's good that I missed it. It boggles my mind. I remember Anna talking about it, but I think that was in like junior high, I think is when she read like Flowers in the Attic. And I was just like, yeah, it's gross. Yeah, it's real gross. It's gross. Another. We're going to watch that. So we'll talk. Yeah. Yeah. Because I watched that when I was a kid. Wow. I did not. Yeah. Okay. I actually have, like I said, I've only seen the new one. So I would love to see the old one. So I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah. For sure. Um, yeah, so I'm glad that our parents weren't so extreme as to like read every book that we read. Right. I would definitely have preferred it the way that it was, to where they just trusted us, they gave us more freedom, they knew yes. they didn't have to check up on us all the time. And it just worked out that way. Yeah. I feel like for some kids it wouldn't work out well if their parents never mm-hmm. checked on them and trusted them all the time. But yeah, it just well, that- it never even really came up. It just flowed. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this is how it Me is. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. But yeah, in in that regard, it's in let us be exposed to things that we probably shouldn't. Like maybe they were giving us more credit than we were due at that point as to what we could handle. Absolutely. Especially if we think that we were six when this came out and it was on television. So we saw it first run. And it's like, I'm pretty sure there was never a debriefing session after these type of movies. And that's what maybe would have needed to happen. So Nana, I, actually, she talked to me about this movie. Oh, okay. And tell me. she told me that she thought absolutely that he did it. That was really all that she talked about. Oh, okay. Was that, <laughs> she but, was like, I mean, what do you think, six-year-old Holly? Do yeah, you think actually, actually, that is that is how she was. She was like, Let's talk about whether this guy killed his family or not. <laughs> his little girl that looks like you, do you think he murdered her? <laughs> little girl that you have the same exact rainbow shirt (laughs) now go to bed (laughs) oh my god my favorite thing is i could tell i could have a conversation with her about it Mm -hmm. so like i understand why she thought it was okay because i could legitimately be like yeah i I think he's guilty too and here's (laughs) why like (laughs) yeah like I remember watching this movie and seeing his hands in that in his nightshirt mm-hmm. and thinking that's not real. <laughs> you were onto him right away. You were like barely out of kindergarten and you already were solving this case. <laughs> what? Um, oh, it was just so obvious uh-huh. at the time. But I didn't get a debriefing, like, don't worry, honey, Papa's not going to kill us. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody's going to break in and kill us. (laughs) Yeah, I think that that is what may have needed to happen. And again, they were giving us the credit for being able to understand. And like, we did 
I, you know, I think we knew like this isn't really going to happen to us, but still you're so young. You just need that little extra reassurance. Like you said, that no one's going to break in. There aren't going to be four people that break in and randomly murder you for no reason. And also your father's not going to murder you. Except that I already knew about the Manson family when I watched this movie. (laughs) So if she tried to tell you that, you'd be like, bullshit. This happens all the time, Hannah. It happened to Sharon Tate. It happened to this family. It's going to happen. We watched that old Helter Skelter movie. (gasps) Oh, no. The original Helter Skelter movie that came out made for TV. I can't remember if it was like... Because I think you could rent it. Uh huh. I can't remember. And we had a VCR like in 1980 or something. Like, ooh, ooh we la like, la. yeah, we <laughs> did. We did. We had a VCR from a shockingly early age, and which was another. You were my rich friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not kidding. <laughs> We were okay. <laughs> yeah, but by like GC standards and by like my standards, yeah. it was like, oh, they have a VCR. And like your house was nice. Uh-huh. And yeah, Papa worked at the mill. Like if you uh-huh. work at the mill, then you're like a rich Granite City person. That's basically it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I guess I didn't really think of it like that. It's true. Yeah. As a non-Granite City Steel family, you like look at the Granite City Steel family. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. You didn't know the power no. that you had. I had no idea. <laughs> yes, because they made more money than anyone in town. Well, like, yeah. They got paid really well. Yeah, it's like, they did. Oh, okay. They, they're the elite squad. Yeah. Well, and they had their union, which was very good at taking care of their employees. Yes. At the time. It was a great place to work at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were in that, you were like. Oh. I had no idea. Wow. The I City cast system. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's true. <laughs> well, we saw this Manson movie. <laughs> on your VCR. On the VCR. <laughs> Or it could have been on, but it also could have been on TV. But see, I guess I know, I know for sure it was on VHS because later when I was a teenager, I rented it from oh. Dave's Movies and More. Yeah. And <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I know they had it on, released on VHS and Nana is a true crime buff. Oh, okay. So she, she would have, yeah, she would have rented it. Mm-hmm. But it could have been on TV, too. But regardless, we watched it. Yeah. And very so young. I already knew <laughs> that that could happen. So then seeing yeah. this was just like, oh, okay. Maybe it happens. It's not just like a fluke. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this happens everywhere. Yeah. It's happening this- coast to coast. <laughs> It's true. Both coasts. So it had to work its way to the Midwest eventually. And exactly. you were going to be on the list. It only made sense. The Midwest <laughs> is always last to get the trends. It's true. 
<laughs> yes. It was inevitable that it was coming. <laughs> just a matter of when. Oh and since you knew about it, it would probably happen to you. Exactly. <laughs> I used to go around at night after my parents went to bed and check all the doors and windows oh, wow. to make sure they were locked. That's great. And I know it's because I saw these movies back to back. <laughs> that would do it. That would definitely do it. So at least and it I, taught you to be safe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm sure. Wise. <laughs> I'm sure that. I'm sure that. Um, I'm sure that Nana told me to cover my eyes at some point during this movie yes but you can still hear it yeah you hear everything i feel like every episode this statement will be made you can cover your eyes but you can still hear it yeah and there's still the music like that climactic music building up and you know something bad is happening and it's designed to get you riled up and stimulated the, you know, they use the music to manipulate your mood. So, Definitely. I mean, the music is like another actor in the movie, kind of. Okay, I'm going to have to take a break because oh, yeah. um, I went to get the shrimp out to thaw them for dinner mm-hmm. tonight while you're doing that. And then I accidentally pulled out the bottle of gin. I don't know if you can see it. Nope. It was in the freezer oh, and it shattered all over the tile floor and I have to clean it all Jesus. Up. Well, you know, like approaching it. Oh God. Well, it. well, it is pretty late. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we can probably leave it there. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. I guess you can clean up your, your gin. Oh my God. It was like pretty full bottle too. It sucks. Oh, yeah. And um, yeah, it's just <laughs> glass everywhere. Oh Jesus, that sucks. So now I'm not gonna have dinner ready, and yeah. I broke the gin, and I'm gonna have a mess when Dan gets home from work. Well, so shit. I'm really on track for being murdered. You are on track for being <laughs> murdered. You're being a terrible housewife. Definitely cheated on, <laughs> maybe murdered. So I really need to go take care of this. <laughs> My life depends on it. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> God. Okay, so we'll just talk later. Yeah. We're gonna be on Thursday for uh, the second part. Yeah, but um we probably wanna talk before that. Yeah, we'll talk before that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Fiber rich foods or prebiotics are the number one gut healthy thing you're not eating enough of. According to the USDA, more than 90% of women and 97% of men do not meet their recommended intakes for dietary fiber. Supergut makes getting this essential nutrient back into your diet easy and delicious with award-winning foods that are clinically proven to boost gut health and all that comes with it. Go to supergut.com and use code Ethan to save 20% on your first order. That's S-U-P-E-R-G-U-T dot com, code Ethan to save 20% on your first order.